Well, hi, Sarah. Hey, Adam. How you doing? Really good. We just came back from a walk again. Yeah, it's kind of the thing, I guess. Yeah, walks are good for brains. The podcast is called To Build a Swing, but maybe it should be After Taking a Walk. It's not not really a poem. Yeah, that's true. It probably is a poem. Yeah, I bet After Taking a Walk (laughs) is probably 70 poems, (laughs) if not 700. Yeah. After Taking a Walk, I Found a Cat. (laughs) I don't know what the rest of the poem is. No, something about a hat. I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, so I wanted to talk to you about um, some of the things that you're thinking about. And I know that these are all really, like, very early thoughts. They are. But I I want, I think it's good to just talk about them, um, both as the ideas themselves and also the process of like going through them Mm -hmm. and so i but before before we do that there's one thing that i i want to get to okay which is um you have this pretty long history of doing some interesting projects on (laughs) the web yeah um and uh, in fact, I first encountered um, you via a blog post that someone was writing about what they uh, thought was the um, most effective and funniest landing page they'd ever seen. Uh, not, <laughs> la- not landing page, but sales page, specifically mm. sales page that they had ever seen. And uh, there was you on the site in a uh, giant Napoleon hat and full costume. I had a real sword. Yeah, you had a real sword. Thank you, Preston. It was Preston's sword. And In case you're listening, and Preston. You were, you, and you were having a, a, like a whole, there was a whole like chat dialogue on this site of you talking, uh, these different characters all talking about this thing that you were doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw that and was just so entertained by it and so inspired by it uh and and then i uh i have heard i've heard tell of uh multiple other projects that you've done and i'd just love for you to just to share a little bit about a couple of those um just for some context yeah um well that one was a project about discovering your national identity and Julianne was um, part of the brainchild behind that. She was the one who uh, helped with uh, design all the costumes and um, she took all of the photos and all of that stuff. Because you Um, used, for what you were doing, you used um, the idea of creating your own community and your own mailing list and your own audience mm -hmm. as like creating your own nation and and used a lot of... Uh, imagery from that that, Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah it was um it was really fun um other things i had a a gold digging excursion where you went into this cave and kind of mined your website for gold um it was all about monetizing uh what you have and um actually asking for money for the things that you're the value that you're providing on on the web 
And, um, man, it's hard for me. You <laughs> it's had, hard for me to talk about these now because they're just so... You had uh, so hot dates? Hot dates. With your website? With your website, yeah. Your, your website... It was kind of a mix of metaphors because your website at one point got down on one knee and was proposing to you. Your website's <laughs> name was Mo. It actually, there was a personification. The Mo standard for momentum, but um, anyway, so Mo w- proposed to you and then took you on this series of hot dates, which is sort of a backwards way of doing a relationship. <laughs> but <laughs> um, it's so that every week that you would be spending time with your website and would be thinking strategically about how you were using it and filling in some of the gaps that might exist between, you know, how how it is now and how effective that you wanted it to be. And you had those projects that were really kind of very practical focused. Yeah. Um, and you had others that you've done. Um, one that I recall called Hello Month. Um, yeah. Hello Month was just, it's like hello comma month. Kind of like hello January, hello February. And uh, that was during a time when I was really struggling to get out of bed every day and so what i did was kind of create letters to myself ahead of time for every day of the month and um i i posted them but i'm a lot of times it happens this way it's like i'm making something to help myself but then part of helping myself is connecting with other people and so i I made it in a way that it would be um, really useful to and when you say that you were having a hard time getting out of bed you this wasn't just you were tired no no you, <laughs> you were really struggling yeah it was a pretty difficult stretch yeah um yeah I've definitely gone through periods in my life where depression was a, a big thing and it was kind of um you know not getting out of bed not having the motivation to shower or eat anything or you know just really um really hard to to find a reason to do those things and um so I think that whenever I've gotten into a place like that my impulse is always okay well I can do something for myself that will also be something I can connect with other people through um and part of that I've realized is that um, I'm, I've been, I was a really shy, really shy kid and had a hard time making friends. And my brother, on the other hand, was super friendly. Everybody loved him. But I was um, seen as more reserved, even though on the inside I really wasn't. And it's always been really hard for me to connect with other people when I'm struggling or to really show my feelings in like my family or um, in, in person with anybody. Um, but for whatever reason, through creative projects and through my writing, it's a lot easier to do that. So I think that's why that impulse has always been there because it's like I can show I can show what's going on for me and I can connect with other people through that. You had another really ambitious project that you did that yeah. uh, I first heard about from a friend and was just completely blown away at the scope and intensity and depth <laughs> of this project. Uh, can you talk about Tour de Bliss? 
Yes. The tour de bliss was you basically got on a hot air balloon ride and um, there was a manifest that listed all of your fellow passengers and everybody had their own um, little ID ticket thing to this thing. And um, basically the hot air balloon landed in a number of different places and it was all about um, creating the life that you wanted to live and integrating that with um, with your business. Basically building a lifestyle business but focusing on your life and what actually brings you joy. And so um, there were a, a bunch of different places that we went to, um, like the Money Garden was one of them. Um, there were, um, I, I can't even remember, like museums that we went to for your creativity. Um, yeah, there, there was a bunch of things. It was extremely, extremely ambitious project. It was and none of, last of and none of these things are online and available at all anymore. I've I've removed every last trace of them. Well, I mean, I think if you go to the Wayback Machine, you can find them. Um, but but it's it's funny we've talked about before just the tendency to create things and then um, to just feel like uh, like I was just talking about my. Uh, um, my friend Paul Campbell, who is a great conference organizer and has um, really uh, wonderful um, software product called Tito, and now has another one called Vito that is focused on Tito is focused on tickets for uh, events, and now Vito is focused on helping to create um, online events. And at the at the end of one of his um, at the end of one of his conferences, he said something that always just has stuck with me uh and he said right now i feel uh both great pride and great shame uh and i think that anyone who's ever created something and put all of themselves into it uh knows what i mean by that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean it's the reason that i don't (laughs) have those projects anywhere anymore um, even though they're kind of defining my um, really where I came from and where I'm at now. And um, yeah, and I think I always just had this feeling like um, I never, I, I went through this period in high school where I, um, dealt with extreme social anxiety and up until that point I had been a straight A student and then suddenly my junior year of high school um I my teacher called me out for being a couple minutes late to um an AP history class in front of the class in front of the class and it's I was super super embarrassed by that and um I had my car at that point and I uh I decided the next day, like, oh man, I slept in, I'm going to be late. Like, I'm just not going to go. Um, and then that turned into, oh my God, now I have to like write a note to get back into school to, to explain, you know, then excuse the absence. absence, Right. And that has to be for my parents. But I, you know, I, I just got myself into this place because I had always been such a good kid 
where I, I couldn't get back into school without lying, but I would, I would end up doing that eventually. But it ended up snowballing. It was like not going to school for that first class and then not being able to go until um, till lunchtime because I was like, oh, lunchtime, that'll, that'll be good. There'll be like a little bit of break there. And then it was like not able to go for the whole day um, to get the courage to actually get back, get myself back into school. Um, so I ended up missing so much school that year. And um, I, I think it was like 27 days of school before the school like figured out that I wasn't there. Like they didn't even really notice, but I um, would just take my car and just go to the park and just cry. But then um, after the school called my parents and my parents took my car away and um, but then I would end up going to school and just hiding under the stairs because I was so behind on my work and I just felt like everybody thinks that I'm this terrible person now. Um, and I, I just couldn't stand it. And I would tell myself like, okay, well, I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to get caught up. And when I'm caught up, then I'll be able to go into my classes. And um, anyway, I just got into that whole spiral again. Um, and the point of that story is to say that I um, have since then have had a pattern of, um, you know, starting um, not ever since then, but after that, going to college, I would just panic um, going to college because I was so afraid that I was going to just repeat that same pattern that if I, um, I would end up dropping a lot of my classes before the withdrawal date, just because I was so scared that I was going to get myself into that situation again. And um, so I, I didn't finish college. I've gone to like five of them <laughs> and I've attempted it m multiple times. I um, actually love to learn. I love school and uh, I worked in universities because I was like, okay, I can get my tuition paid for, I can start this again, I can try this again, but I never finished. And so I've always had this kind of shame around not having finished college and not having gone to any like prestigious design school that like all the designers that I really admired were highly pedigreed and were going to schools on the east coast and um just really famous design schools and i just felt like such an imposter and so all of these projects that i made i just kind of looked at them as like well um it just really immature i think um and at some point i just stopped like putting things out there that were so weird. <laughs> it was like, I, I would rather um, be respected and I would rather like show the intellectual part of who I was. And um, yeah, and so I kind of just erased all of those tracks um, that I made, but yeah. yeah. So you have... Uh, it's funny, I think, well, uh, you know, I think about the 
like numerous things that I've been involved in early on that were pretty, um, they were pretty early on for what they were. Mm -hmm. Um, and my own tendency that at the point that those things gained some degree of popularity or success or attention or whatever is the exact moment that I have really given up on them or withdrawn from them or uh, like podcasting. (laughs) Yeah. I still want to be able to listen to all your old podcasts. Yeah. You were pretty, pretty early on podcasting. Yeah. I think that we didn't call them, but it was before the term podcasting even existed. (laughs) So it was like 2003, 2004, I think. Uh, and had a podcast that was inspired by another uh, person who um, is quite a remarkable guy, um, Stephen Garrity, who had a website called actsofvolition.com, still has it, and lives on Prince Edward Island, or did then. And um, uh, he had this Axe of Volition radio, um, and I, I loved it, and I said, boy, I'd I want to do that too. And I think that at the, at that time, um, there were about three, uh, MP3 blogs is what this group of people called them. Um, uh, that were these little recorded radio shows. Uh, and it's so funny because they're then podcasting became a term and it became incorporated into, uh, iTunes and it just turned into this giant thing and um, the uh, I was in this group of people uh, of, of folks who were um, very early podcasters and I went to this meeting and all, all these people met I mean almost all, everybody who's in that group now has um, really uh, done a lot in that in that domain um, and uh, I was kind of invited to participate as you know hey what are you know what can we do how can we create kind of a network how can we like invest in this as a platform what can we what are we each trying to do and um, you know it was uh, a lot of those people ended up especially in the early era of podcasting is pretty influential and it was literally, I went to that meeting and that was, I don't think, I think I might have later recorded one or two episodes, um, but I basically, like, it was like, oh, whoa, this is too, it's too big. Like, I'm, I'm <laughs> I don't know that I'm actually, <laughs> I don't know that what I'm doing is that good that I want that big of an audience. I don't know that what I'm doing is, uh, you know, is, um, you know, it's something I, that I want to put out in front of that many people. Yeah. Um, I like, you know, having, you know, a small group of people, but I mean, it's funny, the folks who, um, you know, would comment and, you know, who I, uh, um, uh, Chris Messina was a regular listener. Chris Messina is the guy who literally invented the hashtag <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, Jason Freed from 37 signals, uh, you know, commented, um, that he was a listener and, um, you know, there's a handful of people that I met in that era of the internet that, um, you know, I'm glad that I did it through, you know, I'm glad I, I did that, that, uh, MP3 blog, but it's funny that, you know, here was this thing that I made and basically just kind of walked 
just kind of walked away from it. And there's a lot of things that I've been a part of that, you know, I've definitely done that with. But um, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know that it's always just uh, a desire to withdraw from um, the attention of it, of like not of not wanting to, um, or the feeling of that extra pressure, or um, the feeling of the um, additional scrutiny or criticism of it, uh, as much as like I. I I find things that are on the edges more interesting and engaging to my curiosity. Like as soon as yeah. something becomes a little more the norm, it I don't. Uh, it's not as it's not as interesting to me. Right. Um, that's really hampered my ability as an entrepreneur because um, there are a lot of things that uh, you know that I've been involved in um, from a business perspective in very early going that you know with the with the more traditional business uh, mentality probably could have turned those into you know real financial successes but I, I didn't um, it was more fun to make the thing oh, yeah. uh, to see it grow uh, you know and to see people appreciate it and um, you know to try and turn it into um, you know a full scale business on you know on a high level um it's a lot harder thing for for me to get my head around i I, and i have a harder time you know keeping that focus there but but it does on some levels come back to that same like desire to just kind of withdraw and not um you know not not be um doing those things yeah yeah, it's... Well, no, I, I mean, this, I have that same thing. And then that that pattern of like quitting things and uh, that has become a thing for me too, to where I'm like, man, nobody's going to believe that I'm going to keep this thing going. <laughs> like I'll start something and I'm like, probably nobody's going to participate in this this time because they remember all of the other things that I did that ended after three months or six months or a year or whatever. And so I think you know, the, along with deciding like, okay, I'm going to do things that are way more polished, way more like cool looking and like, I don't know, that show more thoughtfulness and depth and, uh, than these kind of weird metaphorical journeys. (laughs) Um, there was also a decision to like not pursue new ideas and to just be like, well, every time I do that, it just ends up dropping off and um and like for some reason whether it's the that oh man there's too many people watching this and now there's pressure or this isn't interesting to me anymore because i solved the problem i was trying to solve or like i figured out the thing i was trying to figure out and now like i there's no magic there for me anymore um you know i just kind of was like well i'm just gonna keep doing the same thing that I was doing before. And I'm going to keep, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to keep on this one note, this one line. And, um, yeah, I, I feel like in a weird way, this whole, um, pandemic thing has kind of shaken me up a little bit and has made me think, um, about, what 
well, first of all, the vision of and yet and how our how that changes if it changes um, what the narrative is and all of that. But um, asking those questions of myself, like what is driving me now that all of these structures are sort of falling away and some of these things don't feel like they matter anymore, right? Like that, those sort of existential questions that we ask ourselves. But Well, yeah. before we dive into some more of that, because I have, I have more I want to ask you on that front, one of the things that you were just talking about a moment ago was just that tendency to quit things. And, you know, mm-hmm. that used to be a thing that I would really beat myself up about too. Yeah. Um, but a few years ago, years ago, I really, um, I mean, I started quite a while ago to embrace endings as valuable things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a big influence on me for that was uh, Christina She in a talk that she gave uh, at uh, Brio, a conference that uh, I um, co-organized with Paul Campbell um, in, I guess, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she gave a talk about how we need to value endings and, uh, you know, we need to, um, think more about, uh, you know, the exit strategy for the things we make and plan Mm -hmm. to, to end them because not, not everything should go on forever. Um, and there's, uh, you know, so I've kind of, I, I had kind of gotten to a point of valuing endings that many times I was not the one to, choose them. I held on to them well, you know, a long time before I was forced to get to a point of them ending, um, either from constraint or, um, from, you know, others' decisions or whatever. Um, but the, um, you know, or, or circumstances or whatever. Um, but then in recent years, I've, I've just actually valued quitting things, valued the fact that like, I am not designed to do almost anything indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I am uh, best. Uh, I'm best suited for um, starting things, playing with things, poking at things, improving things, but not not uh, you know maintaining them and, and and seeing them continue on forever. I. I, I yeah. Uh, certainly have contributed to a lot of things that have that have sustained, um, but I'm I, I am the um, uh, that's largely in spite of me and not because of me, uh, and just accepting that and saying like no, there's actually something valuable about that. I and you know I wrote a post a couple of years ago when I got to the, that point of just saying no, I'm not going to you know whatever the thing was, I wasn't going to do anymore. Yeah, um, and. Uh, just really celebrating the value of quitting and that there are so many things that we are bound up in and committed, you know, feel committed to or feel obliged to or whatever. Um, and there's some value in releasing ourselves from it. Yeah. But I think there's, you know, there's so much different. I think in all these different examples, there's all this, there's, there's all this, this nuance and interplay where, you know, there, there are things that um, we may have made of value that, uh, you know, we kind of run away from. And there are others that it's like, well, I don't, I just need to not do this thing anymore. But that doesn't mean that it, you know, that I need to also burn it down. <laughs> right, right. Um, and you know, I think that you know, figuring those things out, and so, and so much of that is about 
is, you know, as you were talking about when we were walking just before, so much of that is about integration. It's about um, yeah. actually knowing which things are we incorporating into our, you know, larger view of ourselves and reality and what we believe about um, life and um, what we value. Uh, and, um, you know, I, but I do think that, that, that one thing that I've been working very hard on incorporating is just that most of the things that I am involved in either, uh, I need to not be involved in them at some point and I need to anticipate that'll be the case. Um, or, uh, they need to be short lived and experimental and be what they are. And, you know, I mean, that's, uh, um, many, (laughs) Uh, you know, many artists may create in a theme um, or a style for a period of time, but every single individual thing is its own thing that they get to be done with. I remember a conversation that I had um, through um, uh, through Melanie Brown with uh, Cable Sasser uh, at um, Panic, who's one of my heroes. I say conversation through because, uh, you know, I talked to him a couple times in person, but felt uh, really just uh, unsure about my ability to interrupt him, to ask him all the things that I wanted to. So the way that I did that was I wrote a bunch of questions for an interview and then Melanie did this interview and recorded this and, you know, put this out there. Um, And so there was some value that that, uh, they got out of it. but one of the things that he said that I, I uh, uh, remember is he's like, you know, one of the things of software that's so frustrating is that um, it's never truly done. Uh, mm-hmm. He said, you know, it, if, um, you know, it's like, imagine if, um, uh, um, you know, imagine if you, you know, you, you make Citizen Kane and... Uh, you you know ship this this movie, and then you have people say you know oh well, you know I I would have I probably would have gone to see it if it was ninety nine cents, uh, <laughs> you know make it a little shorter, you know I'd like to see more of the sled in the story, you know yeah um, there's uh, uh, and he you know he's like so I I'm, I'm envious of the film industry where it's like, they just, they get to be done. They're just done. Where yeah. software, you're like, yeah, this thing is going to go on forever and I'm just going to have to keep improving it. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, it, all of that is, I think very interesting to me. It's been a, probably a constant rumination for me on, in one, di- from one dimension of an- or another, um, for well on, uh, you know, a decade or, or more, just, Endings, things that we're forced into that we did not expect uh, to lose, um, you know, true loss that we grieve, um, challenges, pain, uh, things that we have to quit for our own good, for our own mental health, for our own priorities and our ability to focus on what's valuable and meaningful to us. Um, And, you know, I think that that is a, it's a tremendously balanced, it's a tremendously difficult thing to balance in life. Yeah. But uh, I want to come back to. Uh, well, sorry, you. Sorry, you look well, like. Well, the thing about that I'm learning about endings because I don't think I've gotten there yet, like having that comfort there. But the thing I've noticed is that because I have not found that peace with ending things, 
I am so reluctant to start anything new, anything at all. And, um, and it, it, it has been, um, only in the past couple, I guess the past month that everything has kind of been turned on its head that we've started, I've just started being like, oh, well, I'm just, I have this impulse to do this thing. I'm going to do it. Um, and I think I'm also like our, our vision that I was just doggedly pursuing. Um, and yet, which is still, it's still there, but just putting that on hold for a bit to just say, let's make things and respond to the needs that we see. And so, um, we started the gather the courage, um, journaling exercise thing. Um, we started, we're starting this togetherness, um, resource resource for, um, remote gatherings. Um, we're, you and I started doing this podcast. Yeah. Um, and some of that has caused me some anxiety because I'm just like, oh, now I got to do these things. I started this sort of uh, private mailing list of friends and collaborators and clients for um, ongoing shared research and sharing collaboration opportunities. Um, so that's a, a thing. Um, and several of these things have their own mailing lists now (laughs) to keep up with. And, you know, all of those things, I just, some part of me that used to just jump in and start whatever new idea I had is very like, oh no, what am I doing to myself? Right. Um, But at the same time, it's unblocked me in so many ways and just made me realize like, man, I need to become comfortable (laughs) with quitting things so that these um, things that are fresh and alive in me come up because I feel like so much stagnancy has happened in my creative life in the past several years um, with Gather the People, um, just trying to get that second book out that's for leaders of teams and companies or the first one was for creators and um, consultants. And because I'm just doggedly pursuing like this one idea and I have, it's come together and it needs to be out there, but I have not let myself do anything else because this is there. Right. And, uh, and I'm committed to it. And I felt like that was wisdom, but I actually wonder if I had just let myself play and, um, I was actually have been taking this uh, Sarah Blakely masterclass, the, the founder and inventor and CEO and everything of Spanx. She's just incredibly influential woman um, who also like doesn't she didn't have a business degree. She didn't didn't know anything about manufacturing or anything before she had her idea, but um, she talks about ideas like they are these gifts that just come down from the sky and so no matter what like the other day she said she was in she was getting her hair cut and she was wearing this cape and this cape is like super itchy she can't move it's not breathable at all so it gets super hot under under the cape she was just like oh my gosh like somebody needs to make a better cape (laughs) and so she wrote it down and she just has all these ideas and some of these ideas she 
is never going to pursue. It's not in her industry. It's not, it doesn't fit her purpose and she, or she doesn't really have the energy or time. But the fact that she said that she values every one of them so that they will keep coming to her. Hmm. And when I was watching that, I just realized like, I don't know when's the last time before this past month that I've had a new idea. I've just not really had anything that got me super excited, which is weird because I am the person like uh, my employees at my old company would say, like the thing about Sarah is that she will just walk in and just be like, oh my gosh, I have this idea. I'm so excited. That's like the thing that I would say all the time. And I haven't said that in years. I mean, you probably know that <laughs> that's not true, but like, that's how it feels because I haven't. Well, you say those things to me. You probably don't. You're probably not saying them a lot more than to me in yeah. many cases. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm definitely not pursuing them. And then if I do pursue something new, I am immediately just like, oh no, self doubt, and I'm never going to be able to keep this going. And you know, all of that stuff. Um, but that perspective on valuing ideas so that they will keep coming to you, um, was just such a, such a powerful one for me. So, um, I started, I've just been, been thinking about that a lot. And, um, I've been thinking about, um, this other, idea. I don't think we've talked about it before. We've talked about David White and the heart aroused a lot, but, um, one of the, the things that he talks about, which is going into actually the second journaling exercise and gather the courage is the power of image and how, um, the language of the soul is not words, it's images. And if we want to listen to what's really inside of us, sometimes we have to learn to speak that other language. And he's talking about what that means. He gave um, this beautiful poem as an example um, that was describing, um, actually, I can't even remember. I'll need to go back and look that up uh, for the show notes. But um, it, was, it was describing life as a, a melody. That was the, the metaphor that the poem was using. And in that, you saw like the challenges of melody, the challenges of these notes playing together, and then the culmination that even with all of that, the song is beautiful. And the reason that poetry is so powerful is because it uses image to get past the language of our heads, and it goes straight to something that's truer inside of us. And so he, he talks about how powerful it is to... Um, to think about what is the image for the place that you're in in your life right now. And I've been thinking about that a lot because you know, I've gone through visualization exercises and actually this is feedback that one of our teammates gave for the second um, journaling exercise um, where I'm actually asking people to think about that image. Um, she said, you know, I never come up with anything. Like, there's never an image that shows up for me. And mm. that has been the same for me, too. Sure. Like, I, you know, so many meditation things ask you to um, imagine, like, a sun, sunshine over the top of your head and, like, a drop of sunlight, like, moving through your body or something. And I, I just never really feel it. 
but, but you are i mean it, but one of the things that you do have it, as you go to iterate on the gather the courage exercise is that you have a fantastic capability of describing images and creating images and creating um you know poetic uh uh allegory and meaning in you know in those images and uh you know so it it's uh, it's interesting to me, you know, as you talk about focusing on that particular value, that is a real, real strength of yours. And so I'm looking forward to the things that you're creating that are uh, e- emphasizing that strength even more. Yeah. Because um, I, I really think that's something that you do exceptionally well and uh, that I'm always, I'm always captured by... Um, just the way that you describe things um and that's in fact where you know i think we uh on uh, where we started with this podcast so i was like i want you to tell this story that you just told let's just record it (laughs) right (laughs) um yeah but uh well there's something else that is an intersection you were just talking about uh david white yeah and uh you're talking about sarah blakely but there's also an intersection that you kind of came to the other evening mm. between the two of them where you were not expecting sarah blakely Spanx, oh and david white to intersect oh um, my but gosh you were so just moved by this thought yeah um and i i would love to hear well, sure about that? it's so interesting because some of the things that Sarah Blakely says in her self-made entrepreneurship masterclass are things, you know, I've been a self-made entrepreneur for a really long time. I've taken so many classes. There's not a lot that I haven't heard. And these are things that I've heard. Obviously, you've probably heard them too. The Venn diagram between what you love to do, what you're good at, and what the world needs um, from you. But what she said was like, that it was really, really hard for her to um, answer the question, like, what does the world need? And actually, you and I created this whole Call of the Wildling thing years ago that was actually talking about that, that the what the world needs is everything. Which is, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Let your, P- Parker Palmer. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, he quotes... Uh, um, you know that this the, this well-known quote of where uh, world's need meets your deep gladness. Yeah. And so then he was like, "Well, and what does the world need? The world needs everything." Right. right. So it's really important that you focus on uh, the part that is uniquely yours. But yeah, yeah, that, that's, yeah. that is so much what the call of wildling was about. Right. Right. And uh, and she was like, "But I, I could never really figure that out." Um, but a better way to get to the answer to that question is what breaks your heart. And I was thinking about that and thinking like, "What what breaks my heart?" And obviously, some cliche things come to mind that sort of break all of our hearts, like poverty, hunger, um, children being abused. You know, all of these things. It's like oh, well, is that what I need to do? I need to go out and... Which there are plenty, you know, plenty of people who are completely compelled to, yeah. to focus on those. Right. Um, but I, as far as like my skills, my background, what I'm good at, um, I don't know how that fits in with those things that just universally break most people's hearts. Um, and, you know, how does what And Yet is doing as a business, how does that fit... How does that work? Um, but then later on that night, 
Um, and it's just so weird because I had never heard anybody ask that question before. And then later that night I was reading more in the heart aroused and David White is talking about this bust of a famous poet that is sitting on his desk and the life story of this poet is basically, he had a really, really hard life and, um, that's where his poetry came from. That's why it's so meaningful and so profound. And what David says that this bust reminds him is the question, what hurts you into poetry? What hurts you into the thing, the work that you are doing? And those two questions together in me, I, I immediately knew what it was. And it is not an answer that has ever changed for me. It is the same, same thing. And there's actually a video out there somewhere of me holding um, a baby, one of my babies on my lap talking about um, this concept of freedom. Like freedom for me is everything. It's everything that I work toward. It's freedom to um, freedom from the things that oppress us, the things that keep us back, freedom from the, the smallness that we're kind of shoved into, freedom from our, our fears, freedom from our blind spots, freedom from us being able to be fully alive and who we are, um, our own freedom, the freedom of other people, and the idea that, um, that when we are free, we help others to be free. This concept has just been a part of me for forever. It is the deep, deep thing that I care about to the bottom of my soul that if I, you know, woke up in the morning and was just like, ah, what is, you know, what am I here to do? That, that is the word. And, um, and so comparing that with like this concept of image, um, that was the other thing. It's like when I started thinking about image, um, you know, what is the image for where I am right now? It's the same image that's been in my head for forever of this house that is kind of out in a poppy field away from civilization. I may have talked about it in this podcast. I don't know. Yeah, I feel I like I repeat so. no. myself a lot. <laughs> but, um, we've, but talked, we've talked about it, but yeah. I don't think you talked about it anymore. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is a place that is fully my own, um, where I am completely free to be myself. Um, I was talking to my counselor about this and she was like, well, what do you think the poppies mean in this? And, um, I was just like, well, I don't know. I mean, poppies, they're ephemeral. They're hard to control. You, they're, they don't last very long. <laughs> you make opium from them. Yeah. <laughs> drugs <laughs> but she was like i know i know why they're there and i was like what what is it and she said they're um they're they're bold they're wild they're free and they're fragile and that is you and i just kind of just sat there for a minute going oh wow okay yeah i mean that's it um so anyway these these concepts have kind of been bubbling up inside of me and I've been thinking about the the whole idea thing and um and realizing that like my growth right now is to sort of take back the idea that like I can't be a good leader or a consistent person without um and also start new things 
um, and take back the idea that like these metaphorical weird things that I've created were a product of just being kind of immature and, um, you know, not, uh, up to the level of taste of, <laughs> the, of my heroes. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'm kind of excited about that. And but even in, in what you were talking about with that idea, I, I found some of your reflection really interesting. Mm. Um, and even some of the wrestling that you're doing was also, I think, really interesting. So you, you were talking about what you want. I mean, you've kind of gone through, you've had a number of ideas over the last few weeks and a number yeah. of kind of moments where you're just like, oh my gosh, I see this really clearly. Yeah. And you've kind of continued to build on those different things. But one of the things that you were talking about, and I, I definitely... Um, I definitely uh, resonate with it. Was you're just talking about how difficult it is as someone who is not. Um, if your role is to be someone who is making sense and creating direction and um, pointing at this is what we need to do. Uh, for a group of people or for a community or, uh, you know, a company or what have you. Um, if you're in a, a position of leadership and not just your own leadership, um, but having that sort of position, uh, there is this really extreme intensity of needing to do that, but also not having the space, not having the I mean, now, you know, the snow globe's tipped upside down and shaken really hard and you're in the middle trying to catch every snowflake and build a snowman, yeah. uh, you know, with a group of people. And, um, you know, you're trying to describe the snowman as, you know, as all these things are flying in every direction. And mm-hmm. um, and the the chaos of, uh, of that combined with, you know, so the chaos of the moment combined with the abruptness and severity of changes that people are individually dealing with, many of which might have had routines or had systems that were working for them that they could, uh, or places, physical places that they could go to, you know, their office or some coffee shop or something that was how they handled this. And now those people are, you know, we are uh, disrupted from those. We're, We're not just shaken up but not it's not just the uh it's not just the circumstances that are shaken up it's also our locations it's our workflows it's our relationships it's our environments it's you know we the so many leaders that are uh you know that are also taking care and helping homeschool their kids right now and um you know do doing all of the work of um you know of of all of that at the same time and uh, you know, and still trying to create that level of clarity. And yeah. so, uh, you know, that was something that, that you were talking about and wanting to create something for. And um, yeah. I, I found all of that really I- interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I was struggling with that and also the fear of that, right? The fear of sort of waking up and being like, what is the point of any of anything that I'm doing right now? And, um, and feeling that kind of directionlessness and the lack of 
motivation because you know, all of this stuff is changing so fast. I feel like I have decision-making whiplash from even just the, the stimulus bill being passed and thinking about how that impacts and yet, and making decisions about, um, how we're going to preserve our runway and then needing to wait until the government gets their stuff all organized and the banks synchronized and waiting on everything. Anyway, it just feels like I, it's very hard to have clarity of vision right now in that context. If I'm thinking of trying to take all of that stuff and put it together into something that makes sense and is going to help protect the jobs of our people, um, and the health insurance, um, and all of that, because that's my primary responsibility right now is, um, taking care of them and making sure that we're all okay. Um, and so in that I was thinking about, you know, our, our kids are pretty lucky. Um, they all go to, uh, a private school it's this it's a sweet little school where everybody is super kind and loving and um as soon as the uh, governor Inslee announced that the schools were closing they um were putting together a virtual learning program in well, a couple they had days one. they already they already had one in oh. place because I, I talked to the principal oh they, really they, they had one as an emergency case in the event yeah. of some and they were it's ready amazing. to roll it out, and they just they, like two do, days later. Yeah, they needed they were to ready do a day to... of like training and prep and stuff for teachers. Right. But they were rolling and rolling hard with it. I mean, yeah. it was. I mean, they they had a plan. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was so, thinking, like, man, we are very lucky. Our kids are very lucky that our school was that prepared, and that they have a curriculum, they have a framework. Your teacher is walking you through a day. Right. Yeah, I mean, our kids truly have a school day that they experience. Right, they have a school day, and they've had it since yeah. the beginning that the schools were closed. I think a lot of schools are trying to put something together right now that um, takes into account accessibility right. um, and just access for everybody, which is hard to do on a public school level. Um, and you know, they're definitely working really hard at that. But you know, we're so lucky that our kids had that just immediately. And I was thinking about it, not just from an educational perspective, but from a structural, this is walking you through your day. You know what you're doing. You have, you have purpose, you have meaning built into this schedule and these assignments. And I was thinking like, man, leader, like having a position of leadership means that already your job is pretty undefined. Because you just have to grow things, you have to make them better, you have to uh, care for people, you have to see what's in the future. You All have to of this constantly revisit your priorities. Constantly. Because there are things that are going to say, I'm on fire. Right. You have to decide whether to attend to those. And you have to decide whether the long term is more important than the short term, or the right. short term more important than the long term. Right. Whether survival is more important than thriving and mm-hmm. you know all, all the rest. I mean, right. this is just this Whether long, to constant... invest your time in other people and making them successful or invest in going deep into your thought process it and is your trade vision. Offs, trade-offs, trade-offs, trade-offs in every all single day direction. Long. Yeah. All day long. Yeah. And I was just thinking like, man, wouldn't that be cool if we had some sort of uh, 
situation where a leader could go through something like our kids are going through, where there's a curriculum where uh, you have like people coming together and for an hour in the morning, we're doing this thing that is going to prepare us to be the best leaders that we can be throughout the day that we have sort of this this cadence and that it is coming from outside of ourselves, that there's this additional support. And, you know, we were talking about it and realizing, well, that's not really me. It's not like something that I I can do as ongoing as the person that I am just because I am really introverted. Um, after about a week, that would probably completely wear me out, even though during the time, it would probably be incredibly fulfilling. Right. And I would love that. But after a week, I'd, I'd probably be done. Um, but anyway, I've been thinking about that concept, and I've been thinking about this this image that I have, and I was, I've been thinking about this idea of freedom. And I know that right now, like the thing that I need to do is to figure out a way to um, help um, help leaders to find that what that ha- that house is for them, what that place is for them. Um, uh, two podcasts ago, we were talking about the idea of as being a leader is like being a, a gardener. Um, it's you don't have control over every single thing that happens. Your ability to correctly and accurately predict the future is not what makes your things succeed or fail. And a lot of times we try to have that controlling sort of all the responsibility is on us. And so we must know everything and we it must be our fault if things go wrong. Really, that's not the metaphor that we need to be using. We need to see ourselves as a person who has a plot of land, who can't control the weather, who can't control a lot of what happens, who can't control the market and who comes and all of that, but all they can do is tend to their garden and cultivate it and prune and day after day make it um, make it better. Um, so all of these things, these this idea of image and and place and environment, I the thing that I know that I need to do while I'm doing this for myself is to help people to create that for themselves. And I have no idea what that looks like, but the thing that's so exciting to me is that it is it is a truth that has been in me for forever, that the way that I um, have the most impact and connect with people is through metaphor, it's through taking somebody somewhere that is a new world. It is a small nation. It is something that you are creating that did not exist before. And there is a lot of fantasy involved, but there's also a lot of deep rooted wisdom and um, discovering things for yourself and having that facilitated. Um, And I am, yeah, anyway, I don't really know. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm so excited about it because the thing that I've been realizing is like every time that I have an epiphany that is deeply true, it is always something that has always been true. It is never like, oh, this new thing about Sarah. It's always like, oh, this old thing that I'm like come back to again and again, but in a new way. And I think that's what integration is. It's like integrating all the things about ourselves that we've shoved into a corner somewhere in the back so that the company that comes over doesn't see it, but that we 
actually take that out and we say, this is a really important part of who I am. This is how I can be of service and of contribution. And this is also the piece that makes everything feel easy. And it's not easy in the way that it doesn't take work, but easy in the way that, you know, talking about that structure and that day that we might need for a time when we have, when everything is just wild, we, it's all shifting, it's all moving, we're, we don't have our focus anymore. Our vision is fuzzy now. We don't know what, what the future is going to hold. We need more of that structure. We need more, um, more systems to help ourselves be our best selves in that. But man, when you grab onto the thing that is inside of you, that is just true, you don't need that anymore. You just throw it out the window. It's like you have this driving gut level, I know what I'm doing. And really, that's what I want. I want to give that to people and I want to give that to myself and re-find that every time that I lose it. So, Yes, it's like pedaling up the hill versus coasting down the hill. Yeah. There's, There's a level of... It's, weight that you're pulling and pushing and trying to get to this point and then it's uh you're you don't have to push anything anymore. right it's that whole thing we were talking about in the last episode about the the wise you who like works really hard and and does all the things to get you to where you need to be and it takes forever and it's always two steps forward one step back but that the the thing that actually ends up sort of uh, making whatever it is happen is something at a soul level that didn't have to try at all. That it's just like, oh my gosh, I had this idea in the shower or whatever, and everything just sort of works. And um, so I'm kind of excited about. Well, and you were talking about integration, and one of the challenges that um, you were discussing um, previously. This is, I think, probably the last thought we'll we'll uh, ruminate on here, but. Um, the uh, the thing that that uh, that you were talking about when we were when we were walking is how difficult it is to do something that is that uh, weird that is yeah. uh, that different that is not going to be something that people are just going to get right out the bat right um, right off the bat uh, that um, you know that doing that as you know, your own thing just kind of off on the side, but yeah. here you are running, you know, running a company and um, a company that essentially says that doing those things, uh, both, you know, under my leadership, under your leadership, you know, just as an embedded part of the culture of the company, that doing those kinds of things is in fact central to who and yet is. Right. Um, but it's, something that you have natural resistance to bringing in in that mode talk a little bit about that tension well because it's a a wild kind of thing and it's like i know that because of the nature of this idea that it's just like at a soul level i just i know that i need to do this um i can't come in with like the strategy part of my brain and just be like well, it has to align with who you've said your target audience is, and it has to make this amount of money in this amount of time, and it, it has to be the most efficient thing that you could be doing with your time right now. 
it has to be completely in alignment with our OKRs for the quarter. You know, all of these things that's like, I am so scared that if I like bring that into Andy, that part of it will just crush it. Um, and the other part is like, it feels selfish to do something because I know I need to do it and to like bring a team along with that. It's like, it's much easier to have something that's like, oh, this is like logically what we right. should objectively, be doing. Objectively, you know, I'm, st- I'm pulling back here and I'm yeah. objectively saying, you know, from an analysis standpoint, we need to make X, Y, Z decisions. And, yeah. you know, I don't have a, uh, you know, I don't, have an, I don't have a dog in the fight. So, you know, it doesn't really matter which way we go. We go that way or we go this way. Yeah. But that is, uh, I mean, essentially that is not leadership. That's management. I mean, that's one of my favorite um, little snippets from a, a podcast from uh, Horace Dedu, uh, where he's talking about the difference between leadership and management. Leadership is about um, moving in a way that is dangerous, that it, it, it is uh, it makes people uncomfortable, that yeah. it, it um, is going to, uh, you know, it's going to shake things up. And management is about uh, avoiding danger. And so there is always that tension. And so yeah. you bring you know, uh, you bring an idea like that to, uh, you know, to a group from a management perspective, and there's going to be a lot of natural resistance to that. And I right. think, you know, in the past, I, I've gone through that and many things that, um, you know, that I've, that I've led at, at and yet, and, um, you know, I love to death the um, degree to which uh, we have really wrestled with a lot of things. And, um, you know, I have, always had uh, pushback on a lot of different ideas that I've been involved in and um, and and promoted and um, you know and not not even just that were my ideas but that were ones that I saw and said we should be doing yeah we should be doing this thing could be someone else's thing entirely but um, you know it's it's a hard thing to put you know to stick your neck out and I think anytime that you are leading, you are sticking your neck out there. If yeah. you are not, if there's not some degree of personal risk, if there's not some risk of criticism, if there's not some risk that you're being misunderstood, uh, if there's not some place that people could look at what you're doing and say, no, that's objectively the wrong choice yeah. uh, and have a reasonable case um, based on this evidence, this evidence, this evidence, um, you may not actually be leading. You may just be, you know, you may just be continuing the status quo. And stati- right. the status quo is just by very nature directionally uh, opposite leadership. Leadership is yeah. uh, pushing outside of what is. Uh, it is uh, it's seeing possibility that exists and going after it and creating it. And um, and those things are not comfortable uh, to any system that wants to preserve the status quo. That's not a, you know, that's not a knock on anyone who uh, does that. I do that at times. You do that at times. Everybody does that. Um, We we all have lots of ways that our security is threatened by, uh, you know, changes to the status quo that seem to, um, you know, that seem too far for us uh, and that seem especially like things we can't understand. And we don't know what the impact of that will be because we've never experienced it before. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that is something that, um, you know, I, I have really, really, really wrestled with over the years. And, and honestly, it's caused me a great d- degree of discouragement and frustration and um, and has been the source of, you know, a major part of the isolation that I felt in 
um, the roles that I've played in in those ways, where it is just no, I I profoundly feel that this is the right thing to do, regardless of whether anybody um, you know likes it, is going to look at me and say yes, good job, like right. Um, and that is uh, you know that's a hard thing as somebody who just you know wants to make other people feel comfortable and happy and mm-hmm. like it's a that's a it's not a it's not a great it's not a great part of of leadership, but I think um, it is, you know, one of the hallmarks of it. Right. Um, and, you know, so I, I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing the way that you, uh, you know, are going to be and are uh, presently continuing to integrate your own, um, you know, your your own passion and um, the things that you personally can bring. And it's not any different than what what. Uh, you know what we ever ask from anyone else. We right. ask people to, you know, bring their best and on, most honest and truest self into their work. Right. And um, I think that it's just higher stakes when you are um, in a position of authority, uh, right. and it feels a lot more um, of a vulnerable place for everyone else because you know it 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 does fall you know it does fall on you on some level. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm still really early in <laughs> figuring. We just talked about this and I'm like, oh, my instinct is to just take this over here to the side and just do this weird thing. And you're like, integration, <laughs> this is important. This is a thing that and yet is always talking about. Right. And, um, yeah. I mean, it would be a total shame, I think, for, um, you know, for and yet to uh, have, you know, to have a, a great thing like um, like what you're potentially talking about, you know, go out there and, um, you know, and end up, uh, where you're kind of doing this, this other thing and keeping your safest leadership for, you know, for the company. Um, because I think that that is, that is a part of who you are. And I think that, um, you know, the opportunities that you have to, um, demonstrate courage, uh, are, um, are precious and they're ones that um, help people to connect and understand and see where um, you know where where you're going and who you are as a leader and so I mean it is it is something that I think every single person um, you know in a position like that has to constantly be weighing yeah um, and it's never it's never easy but well i mean the thing that gives me courage is i feel like um is lynn lynn's leadership um lynn fisher she does um so many projects of her own that are just because she wants to do them and even projects that she has recommended that and yet do that we didn't have time to prioritize she's just taken those like the u.s flags project was originally a project that she um, had an idea that we should do that. And, yeah, and, and the yet, design team actually put design, a lot of time like yeah. thinking about and brainstorming it. And yeah, were, yeah, but we didn't we didn't prioritize it and we didn't do it. And so Lynn was like, "Hey, do you mind if I just do this?" And it's like, "Sure." And that was um, it, and it was such a completely phenomenal project, project that really, she really did. And the other thing that she's um, um, brought in as a core part of um, our 
our growth, even though it's been so hard to explain, is this idea of a glorpy. <laughs> Uh, and it's so funny. So the Glorpy, uh, do you know about yes, Glorpy? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I tell me like, well, the backstory. Well, I know we said that the other thing would be the last thing we talk about, no, but no, I think this good. is relevant. Yeah, yeah, this is good. We can finish. <laughs> so when I was a kid, it's funny because there are definitely several people who were in this, who were in this conversation that also knew this. In fact, I think it was Lynn that said the name first. But as soon as she said it, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, that's the name. So first, the concept that you're talking about is that we had this general um, notion uh, that really emerged under Lynn's leadership that we wanted to have and create regular space for making things just because we thought they should exist. There's a lot of things Andya has made just because we thought they should exist or we wanted them to exist or yeah. what have you over the years. Uh, there's a long list of things that started that way. Talkie is literally that. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, there's, yeah, there's a long, 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 long list of those things. And one of the things that uh, is Lynn's, is uh, something that Lynn's brought as a way that just kind of encapsulates how uh, how many of the things that um, that and yet's done this, that have been really celebrated and that Lynn has done that have been um, really celebrated um, uh, and of course other you know other folks on our team um, is comes from this quote from uh, Penn Gillette that is um, uh, the only reason that it only secret of the magic. only secret yeah sorry the only secret of magic mm-hmm. uh, say, you say it go ahead you, do you... is that I'm willing to spend more time on it than you think it's worth that's right yeah the only yeah the only secret of magic is I'm willing to spend more time on it than you think it's worth and so that was the quote that kind of described what that uh, set of efforts would look like. And so we were having a conversation at one point about this and um, we wanted some way of describing them as magic and and maybe even a weird way of describing them as magic. And it's really just an internal term. I don't think we, I, I don't think we ever use the I term. I don't think we've talked about it. Publicly. I think <laughs> no. we, we would just be super confused and weirded out by it. Um, but, uh, which is great. Yeah. Um, but when I was a kid, uh, my uncle Tim uh, I, he had this little magic kit, and one of the things in this magic kit, so you do. Ma- I was a little kid, and you do magic and whatever. Um, and one of these things was this uh, handkerchief that could like walk around and move, and you know, it was this character, and it was a ghost. So there's this little <laughs> magic ghost uh, named Glorpy, and mm-hmm. this is an actual product. You can yeah. go search for Glorpy, and it is a pro. Like I thought that was his name for it. I thought he made up the name for this ghost. That's actually the product. Okay. So there's a product that's called Glorpy. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Glorpy is the name of this little magic ghost. That's yeah. this, this handkerchief that moves around as if it's a, you know, living ghost. Yeah. But, oh, man. Okay. Well, that, I mean, I knew it was something about a ghost and magic, but I didn't really get the whole, this is the name of this product that you can use to do magic tricks. Um, but the, the funny thing is like, we've had new people on our team join and be like, what is the purpose of these? Like strategically, like why, how do these fit in with everything? And it's been so hard to explain that. 
um, because I don't think you can. I really don't think you can explain it. Right. But um, the funny thing is, like, Lynn has been championing this idea for forever. The Glorpy that we've been working on for a really long time and still and yet has struggled to prioritize it, developer time on it because we have a few developers and their time is just sucked up immediately by yeah, so we things. got we got most of it done last summer and yeah. then there's just been it just been a struggle for the last six months right um and len keeps it bringing done. it up yeah. on like yeah, priority yeah. lists or in our okrs or whatever it's like or in ppps no progress this week no progress this week you know and just to surface the fact that this is still a priority yeah. And we haven't made progress on it. But it's so funny. It's so funny, the timing, because we've been working on this thing for forever. And what it is, it's uh, we got you. We got you dot cards. cards. And it's basically a an, an app that you can use to um, pass cards around your office for people for their birthday or for anniversary or, or whatever reason. Um, and Jaime has particularly for remote for remote teams for remote teams and now everybody's yeah. remote <laughs> and now everybody's remote and um, one of our teammates was saying this past week like oh my gosh people are gonna think like wow they really made this thing fast <laughs> but no we've been working on it for quite a while and it's just the timing ended up being kind of amazing um, so we're almost you're close to shipping that and Jaime made some incredible card yeah. illustrations for these things. Um, I think Lynn's making some really awesome ones. Yeah, no, there's um, a bunch of them. They're, they're, but it's really close. It is, it's yeah. really close to being done. But, um, but Lynn's leadership with our Glorpies, with her own personal projects, with prioritizing things at a creative level, even if the company is not able to prioritize them at that moment she is still pushing for those and she still believes that those are the way that we are going to have the most impact and that gives me courage to lead in that way Mm -hmm. because of her commitment to that so lynn thanks thanks lynn you're awesome (laughs) she is extremely inspiring there's no doubt about that yeah um well uh i think that's i think that's about it yeah can we high five? Did we high five before? Do we high five? I don't know. Do you want to? <laughs> I don't know that we've high five before, but okay. High five. Did. High five. All right. Well, have have a good uh, whatever the day that you're consuming this podcast is. If it's yeah. 75 years in the future and you're listening to this <laughs> podcast because you're a robot and you've <laughs> decided to consume every available MP3 that is has been found in the hard drives of archive.org, then I wish you a really happy robot um, birthday. If this is your robot birthday and you happen to be looking into this on your robot birthday, and if robot birthdays are the thing that they celebrate in the future, they may not celebrate robot birthdays. could be something totally different. And if they celebrate something totally different and it is that day, then you, uh, robot, or whatever the proper... (laughs) Uh, terminology to refer to you as a robot, whether it's an- Android, could be Beecher. <laughs> Beecher. I just saw Star Trek for the first time. <laughs> the, for the first Star Trek movie. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we do wish you a uh, we do wish you a, a, a very happy uh, whatever the robot day that you may be celebrating is. If that's if that's you, and for everybody else, you know, consider these general well wishes for you. Same. <laughs> All right. Have a good one.